1: It's Friday, December 15th, 2023, from Peachfish Productions, it's The Gist, I'm Mike Pesca. Democracy is superior to autocracy for a few reasons. One is, if the intended beneficiaries of rule are the people, then if the people make the rules, the people will have only themselves to blame if the rules don't work out. As a practical matter, this never happens, but it's why true democracies do have fewer revolutions than autocracies, because there's not just one guy to blame. But sometimes the rules of a democracy can be so bad, so poorly constructed, that there really is one guy to blame. In the European Union, a consortium of many countries, each of which with a vote, the one guy to blame is Viktor Orban pretty much because of the rules. The Prime Minister of Hungary is opposed to sending aid to Ukraine, which would be fine, especially if it were fine and for a good reason. As to the question of reasons, well, according to Finnish European Affairs Minister Anders Enderkreutz, the reason that Orbán doesn't want to give aid to Ukraine is the guy behind the
2: guy, Vlad Putin.
3: world order, rule-based world order
2: as we know it. uh, The conclusions should not favor Moscow's interest. That's an important focus.
1: But okay, when it comes to European funding, a no vote is a no vote. Everyone is entitled to their vote. But here's the thing, how they constructed the rules. In the EU, on matters such as this, a no vote is a veto. Every country gets a veto as Luxembourg's foreign minister Xavier Battelle says, using the Luxembourgish word for veto. Uh, If there is a veto,
3: I just would like to understand why there is a veto. It has to be a justified veto, and I'm still waiting for real reasons and not uh,
1: other reasons. And Ukraine's Vladimir Zelensky laid out his frustrations as well.
0: He has no any reasons to block Ukrainian
2: membership in EU, and I asked him to tell me one reason, not three, five, ten. Tell me one reason. I'm waiting for answer.
1: Putin fears when it comes to the war, the choices are either risk having Zelensky be the victor or ban aid. So victor or ban, ban aid. It was quite a reversal or banner victory for the forces of Ukraine not having a victory. In the U.S., the request for $100 billion in aid to Ukraine and Israel has been held up, but a lesser though necessary amount went through as part of a small part of the $886 billion defense bill. Charles Schumer is bringing the Senate back next week in pursuit of the Ukraine and Israel aid bill. The smaller bill's are okay, the bigger bill is necessary, but it's going to take a fight. In that fight, will Schumer be a victor or Band-Aid solution offerer? We're all hungry to find out. On the show today, and we are sorry for those word crimes of wordplay, We shall feature more Professor Poir from yesterday because, damn it, did the fans demand it. But first, what is that in the air? If you're in Dupling County, North Carolina, it might be waste lagoons alongside the hog farms that populate the area. Because it's North Carolina, it might also be waste sprayed into the air, supposedly to water the fields. But if there's any sort of breeze, that mist just might wind up on your hair, face, and in your eyes if you're a neighbor. And these big hog farms have neighbors. The scent that you're smelling, according to the pork industry, and the title of a new documentary is The Smell of Money. We're joined by executive producer Kate Mara and director Sean Bannon to unravel the story of where some of our food comes from and how a small town is fighting about the pollution the disgusting, smelly, poopy pollution caused by these farms. Kate Mara, Sean Bannon, up next.
2: This is such a perversion of our great heritage of farming and livestock. They are poisoning our soil, poisoning our groundwater, poisoning
1: people, fellow Americans. They are stealing from them in the present and stealing
2: from future generations. This is a system that's broken all the way from North Carolina to here in Newark, New Jersey. This is everyday violence that's going on in our country that most
1: people are just not aware of. The American hog farming industry which takes place in North Carolina, I believe after Minnesota, it's the biggest hog producing state, generates not just a lot of bacon and pork, but a lot of shit. You won't believe some of this shit. A hog produces eight to 10 times the amount of fecal waste as a human does. In terms of tons of feces, in one year alone, an estimated 7.5 million hogs produce 15.5 million tons of feces, and that's a report from 12 years ago. Where does this feces go? Well, it goes in what are euphemistically called lagoons they're just huge pits of water. And in North Carolina, it's the only state where they allow just spraying liquid hog feces in the air. And guess what? The neighbors don't like it. This is part of a pretty shocking and very well done documentary called The Smell of Money. The director, Sean Bannon, the producer, executive producer, Kate Mara, are both here to talk about it. Thank you guys for coming on the gist.
0: Thank you for having us.
2: Yeah, thanks for having us. Really appreciate it.
1: Kate, you're a vegan, vegetarian. What's your uh I need to know your eating preferences.
0: <laughs> you need to know my eating habits.
1: Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> I'm a any
1: any allergies, I should know about <laughs> Cilantro, what do you stand on that?
0: Well, the beauty of being a vegan is that you, you know, a lot of the things your people are allergic to are just eliminated right away. So there you go.
1: Yes but you are vegan.
0: I am. Yeah. For quite some time.
1: And is it based on combo of health and cruelty to animals or what motivated you to be with
0: It's definitely a combo, but it started out. Um, I think it was like 12 years ago, maybe more than that. Um, a friend of mine get, sent me this book called the beauty detox solution, which is just about how, um, food, is digested in our bodies and how different foods affect our bodies in a good way and or a bad way. And it really, um, it just took me through the facts about what animal products actually, how, how it's actually processed in us and what it does to us, you know, not just from a beauty standpoint, you know, our skin and how it makes us feel, you know, bloats you, makes you feel all of these things, but also from um, a health standpoint all of these cancers and all of these diseases that it actually can cause and or just contribute to. And then the animal aspect of it as well, I've, I've always been an animal lover, um, but when I first drove by fa- a factory farm, I think it was about 12 years ago, I was just horrified uh, just seeing the living conditions of it was specifically chickens. 'Cause that was pretty much the only meat I ate growing up. It was like the one thing that I that at the time I just didn't really know anything about and it was it was pretty regular in our household. And the second I saw that, I immediately gave up Meat. But it was all the other things that people don't necessarily think about. Like, you know, if you're a vegetarian, the cheese and how that's made and milk and what it does to your body and how horrible it is for us and how we've been lied to for so many years. But really, just because you're not, they're not killing the animals, the cows, the way that they're treated is so horrific. And so that's really what stopped me from um, having it.
1: Sean, did you come to this topic uh, for a similar reason? Food, food reasons?
2: I mean that's how I found out about this issue. Yeah, I mean I've been working on factory farm issues for about two decades. So I mean I also am, am vegan as well. So it's like I I was doing you know documentaries related to food issues, you know animal rights issues, environmental issues. The human rights issue was a new one for me. So that was really new, and I, and I knew we had to focus on that for this movie. So it was really putting all the all the other things I had been doing for years aside and really you know, being true to the characters in this story.
1: How did you uh, begin to research it and find out that this was the county you would go to and where you would concentrate and set your documentary?
2: Well, luckily one of our other producers is from North Carolina and she, you know, Jamie Berger, she had done her thesis in college about a similar topic um, about the impacts of hog farming um, in North Carolina. And North Carolina is very unique in the fact that it's, you know, has the highest concentration of factory farms in close proximity where people live in the country, possibly in the world. And uh, as we were filming, because now we're at almost six years from when we started filming, um, it's gotten worse. The poultry industry has really moved in, so poultry is now North Carolina is number one for poultry production in the country. So some of the people you'll see in the smell of money, it's like now they're up against the poultry industry.
1: Yeah, and Kate, tell me about your interest in the movie or when you were brought on or did you help breathe it into being as an executive producer?
0: Um, it was about four years ago that Sean, Sean and I have known each other for a little while. Um, we've done some other animal activist stuff together. Um, and he sent it to me just to sort of, um, get some feedback and, um, and I watched it just as, as an admirer of Sean's work. And, um, and I really didn't know anything about it. Um, and when I when I watched it, I was completely I was so angry watching it and um also so heartbroken and so shocked that I that I was so blind to this issue. And you as someone who didn't eat bacon, didn't eat sure. pork. Sure. Yep. Exactly, and you know, I guess sometimes you think, well, I don't ingest that, so um, you know, what, what, I, I don't necessarily need to know uh, how it's how it's being made for other people. But when I when I saw this, I was so um, moved that I, I just, I read, I told Sean how amazing I thought it was. And also just said, you know, if there's any way that – if I can help in any way, I I want to because this will never leave me. I mean, it's so upsetting and it's – my one of my kids was watching – my 10-year-old was in the room and he wasn't – he was watching his own thing. And I thought, oh, he'll be distracted by whatever he's watching on his iPad. And he could not tear his eyes away from this movie. He kept taking his headphones off to – to, um, ask me questions about it. And, um, and as a,
1: as a mom, did you feel like maybe he shouldn't be watching it? It's so disturbing. Or did you think, no, watch this. You need to know.
0: I felt the opposite. I felt like these are, these are the facts about where a lot of food is coming from. Um, maybe not food that I serve in our house, but, um, you know, our kids are, 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 they're, they're, most most schools are not vegan schools, and this topic of you know what they're being fed and what's offered to them every day is um, a complicated one. I think because you know my my little my little four year old goes to school every day. She's the only vegan in her class, and the snacks that they serve, and it's a very progressive school. But the snacks that they serve, most of the other kids um, don't necessarily have meat in them, but they're not vegan. Um, and it's a conversation that she as a four-year-old has to have with the teachers who a lot of the teachers don't necessarily remember, oh, there's dairy in that thing. So actually it's my four-year-old who's saying, I can't have that. That's dairy that I'm a vegan. I don't need animals. So it is something that I find as a parent, it's, it's my moral obligation to know these things and to know what's happening, not just here in our little bubble of, of Los Angeles, but also in North Carolina and, and anywhere in and, In America,
1: yeah. So, Sean, tell us a little bit, or tell us about uh, some of the characters who we meet. There's a woman who lives right next to the farm. There's uh, a wonderful guy who was offered to be a farmer in the early days and could have gotten rich, but essentially says, "And here's a quote that I wrote down: A good American won't stink up another American's home." And um, (laughs) you, you are with him, and you document him, and he he passes away during the filming doesn't he
2: that's true i mean don webb we were so fortunate he was literally one of the first people we filmed with and uh it was like at that time when we thought this documentary would be possible because we really didn't know if you know a lot of the impact of community members would have the time or interest um in doing the movie um when we came in kind of at the what we thought was a tail end of the lawsuit, which had already been going on about four years at that time or five years. This was a week. lawsuit
1: against Smithfield. Yeah, Smithfield Foods. and it kept going for yeah.
2: four years. So that's what we kept going. But yeah, Don Webb is just this magical character who's been fighting the hog industry for two decades himself. And he used to be a hog farmer. So he knows the impacts. He knows what it can do. He kind of got into the Wendell Murphy, set, essentially started factory farming for hogs in North Carolina. And he was also a North Carolina state senator. So that's kind of the root of this problem is very tied to the government, you know, and getting really relaxed laws that didn't protect community members like Elsie and Renee. So Elsie's, you know, are, are really the heart of the movie and the, our main focus. And she's been fighting this, you know, since the 90s. So, we, you know, we have archival footage of her shot in VHS. She just started documenting in the 90s. And to this day, it's like they're still spraying next to her house. Even after this lawsuit, even after this movie, they're still spraying right next to her house and all her- And
1: by spraying, we literally mean, and this is this is the f- detail that I didn't know. they just spray hog feces into the air.
2: One of the things that hogs do well is poop. They produce anywhere between eight and ten times the amount of fecal waste, and that's the solid stuff that a human does every day. Some of these lagoons can be the size of a football field, several million gallons of hog waste. So when that lagoon starts to fill up, they've got to do something with it. So they take that waste and then they spread it over a field under the pretext of raising crops. But it's basically a cheap waste disposal process. What are we doing to our environment? And what are we doing to the communities who have to live near these facilities?
1: And no other state allows this, is that right? There are many other states that hog
2: farm, but this is it. As far as we know, yeah, there, there's other there's other processing plants and from spraying stuff. We just don't know if they're spraying untreated like hog waste. And the documented
1: effect of the people who live near there is profound. And in fact, when you were filming, you were affected, right?
2: That's very true. I mean, I, I already suffered from migraines, but um, get, when you're around the smell, and you can't escape it. There's no escaping it. I mean, I really got had severe. There's days I just could not film at all. I'm just one of those people that nothing kind of stops me usually. <laughs> I mean, I was just knocked out. So I did, you know, get a, a special prescription. But I, I definitely noticed after filming there, I just became a lot more. I'm already a sensitive person, but very sensitive to a lot of different, you know, chemicals and stuff like that. Uh, so it's been an ongoing thing.
1: How did you get the shot of the hog carcasses, and it's like looks like three quarters of a hog just haphazardly thrown in a big garbage pit?
2: Um, so there I mean, a lot of that stuff, we it's either the specific shot, it might be an archival shot or is it the one in the slaughterhouse?
1: No, it's the one with like the, uh, the woman who's talking talks about the buzzards and that's oh, we that, see. Man, buzzards yeah, <laughs> attacking the carcasses of the, just three quarters of a hog. Like if someone said, give me, draw a cartoon, a New Yorker cartoon of someone throws a hog out in their garbage pail on the sidewalk. That's what it would look like.
2: That's what it looks like. You're exactly right. Okay. So <laughs> we've, I filmed a lot of those and we would just go look at the bins. They, every single day, hogs are dying. That's the thing that people don't realize. The, fact, the, the, the really difficult thing with factory farming is they cram so many animals into small spaces and they're so cramped that you know they're dying every single day. And they go and put them in dumpsters and they're right by people's homes. And the, you know, the amount of buzzards uh, you know that that come around them, it's a it's a big, it's a big issue. So and they also are burning their like if a lot of them die, they'll just burn their bodies. But uh, you know what they do is they—it's a long story—but they put those, they pick them up, and those go to rendering. So that's kind of what happens gets, gets turned into your pet food and stuff like that. As they're taking sick, dead hogs and sick, dead chickens, and they're mixing them all together at a pro- at a processing plant and making it into rendered food and other products like that
1: yeah and i think that you know i don't know how they're treated but i know in other countries this has led to some uh, BSE and some scrapie and that's bovine spongiform encephalopathy oh, yeah. and you know when animals eat other animals it's uh, especially if the first animals are uh, sick it doesn't lead to great outcomes
2: no it doesn't and I, and I can just say other states you have to refrigerate the dead animals in north carolina they just let they're like decomposing And they still are going into the food supply. And that's legal.
1: You weren't documenting any illegal practices.
2: No, this is all legal stuff. Yeah, Yeah. it's all legal. It's wild. It's wild.
1: So Kate, you said a second ago something I think that is very important and insightful to the storytelling aspect of this. You said it was heartbreaking. So there are a lot of emotions that we could trigger. And I've seen some documentaries or clips where the emotion is disgust, And disgust is a strong emotion. It was one of the five in Inside Out, right? But as a storyteller as someone who's involved in narrative film you I would imagine you would know and that it wouldn't interest you to do a work where the primary emotion being played upon was something like disgust or revulsion it is the idea of the human stories that I'm going to assume most uh, captivated you about this documentary and this product
0: absolutely and I also what I what I also love about this, documentary is that even though uh, you know we've mentioned on here um you know veganism and all those things and animal animal rights and stuff this film is is not about right. being a vegan or even necessarily right. animal rights it's about human rights and and it's you know it's about this this injustice in North Carolina that's literally a form of violence towards human beings if you don't care about animals then you can still watch this movie and be affected by it, which I think is really important for people because I think a lot of people get scared off by the, you know, the 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 sort of the veganism, um, the the term vegan. I think people get a little bit turned off by sometimes. So um, I do do think it's important to know that this isn't an this isn't like um, a tricky way of of trying to get people to you know do something in. Um, you know, become a vegan or this or that it's, it's, it's about so much more than, than just one thing.
1: Well, I would say as a carnivore and a fairly unapologetic carnivore, I understand what I'm doing. I still like uh, the taste of bacon I would say the film works especially well for people like me because what we have to do, the bargain we make to ourselves is to say, yes, I know I'm eating animals and that alone is perhaps very sad for the animals, but I make my peace with it. But I also have to tell myself, but, you know, this is America. It's 2023. We use essentially more or less humane uh, practices and how we get our food is – you know, more or less on the up and up. And we're not terribly harming the people around. We're not harming people in this process. You know, if you want to take away whatever effect it has on our cholesterol, and that is just not the case. So the target audience, I, I don't know if I was the target audience, but it probably worked better for me, or it moved someone like me off my position more than it would a vegan who doesn't need much convincing is my point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I yeah, I I it's nice to hear that because I I do think that, you know, even for me when I like I said when I watched it I was um I was disappointed in myself that I didn't know about this about what was happening. Um but also I think that yeah, I think you're right. Uh, it if if we know, when we know better, we do better. It's it's typ- typically the case, not always the case, but I just think we should know about what's happening to our neighbors. It's so important as human beings to care about other human beings.
1: The name of the film is The Smell of Money. It was directed by Sean Bannon. He was a producer, the executive producer, Kate Mara. You could watch it now. Kate and Sean, thank you both so much.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
2: Thank you, appreciate it.
1: And now the spiel. I'm calling an emergency Antwintig. I alone could do this. The Antwintig, of course, when we check in, check our work, offer corrections, offer valuable savings on cutlets from participating food lions. The Antwintig. No, no one's really sure how to pronounce it. The Antwintig is a three-week period that sometimes stretches to four, five, as much as six. Highly attenuated, but also can be compressed. And for the first time ever, this will be a one-week Antwintig period. Why? because I am just jazzed, I'm highly influenced by the scholar and mammologist Jasbir Poir. We talked about her yesterday, we threw down some Jasbir Poir tracks, tracks will play a literal in this Antoine Tig, but I have to say, the fans demanded more. Professor Poir's flow is unparalleled. She drops more phrases than the moon has phases.
3: Give it up once more for Professor Poir. As a stratum of matter, time itself, as an affective modality, is not of the laboring body, but of the para and sub-individual capacities of bodies. Unlike affective labor, Time itself refers to the laboring of affect, a laboring that contributes to the capitalist profitability and expansion that is the deepening entrenchment of technologies of containment, globally speaking, Of the occupation.
1: Yes, yes, yes. So true, she says what we all think. It's not every day you get such blazing insight in a really easy to understand package. So a little background here on why I'm playing it now. Yesterday, I wanted to play the spiel featuring Jazbeer Poir for Michelle and the kids. I like a second or third set of multi-generational, differently gendered, differently taken with wordplay ears on a piece on a spiel. So Milo, who you've come to know and love over the years, I hope, my oldest son, greeted the offer to hear some spiel with the gentle pushback of No! I hate podcasts! Please, please, Dad, no more podcasts! He was nice enough to frame it as a critique of the entire genre, but I knew he was talking about the gist. I almost never play the gist. They get enough of gist source-er material, you know, the lake, the reservoir from which river gist flows. I ladle it to them whether they want it or not, sort of a waterboarding of gist source text. So I like to take it easy on them. But I and I do play other podcasts for the lad in the car, and he does hate many an economics podcast, many a carefully crafted true crime podcast, but he does especially dislike the gist. But it was nice. He did say I hate all podcasts in that very tempered way. No! So what I did was I listened to his critique and I played the gist anyway. And as I did with me talking in the background about some ad or something, he cried out, No, please! If you're going to play the show, you can't talk while you're talking. That's fair. That is Michelle agreed with that. When I'm talking on the gist, I can't talk about the gist to him. All right. Like, almost ruins the entire concept of it being just the gist no talking while i'm talking but then after all this and we played the spiel we got to the part with Poire to remind
3: you as an analytic it most forcefully attends to apprehending the consequences of the successes of lgbt liberal rights movements as such i think of it more as a structuring facet of modernity rather than an aberration or liberalism gone bad and let me tell you, the kid was
1: into it. Michelle was into it. My younger son, Emmett, 15 years old, he's usually only thinking of puns, fencing, or video games, was into it. They couldn't believe it. They needed more poor. They needed more poor than the segment provided. So even though Hanukkah is over, on this, the ninth night, unofficial ninth night, I give them and you more Poire. It turns out, and not a lot of people know this, before Jasbir Poire got her PhD in Ethnic Studies from the University of California, Berkeley in 1999, she was huge on the then-nation rap battle scene. We found some old tapes. So here is a contest between Professor Poir and Lil' Gaddy. Let's hear Lil' Gaddy. complete the the deal. I had to keep the steel. Told my mama don't be scared for me. You can't prepare for me. You can't prepare for me, but don't make the wrong move. We was literally whipping with a chrome spoon. So much work in the crib, it looked like I was homeschooled. And here, that's good. They threw threw that down. But here was Professor Poor's comeback.
3: Time itself is not extracted from individual bodies, rather, produced through the endless circuitry of individual material. Time itself is individual time. Oh, and then,
1: right? You don't do better than that.
3: But then she
1: gets to the finals. I'm not terribly familiar with the structure of when she was doing these underground rap battles back then. And the reigning champ, BDL Wrecking Crew, just tore into her. And you're going to rep that squad whether they dead or not. I swear. N- swear to Jesus you love Tay Rock more than T-Top because Cave Gang puts your career in a better spot. That's homo. Swear to Jesus look at T-Top like, OK, King, you better stop. And then the crowd thought there was no chance that Poor could come back. But listen to this banger.
3: Time and space are not, as the accelerationists might posit, exponentially compressed, endlessly linked, nor more rapidly interfacing, but rather are a series of discontinuous refractions that are recursive, part of the structure and event linkages of settler colonialism. And that's
1: it, it is all over. How does she do it? So anyway, I could listen to the scalding Foucauldian stylings of Professor Poir all day, but I do have to use this Antoine Tig for its usual reasons, corrections, lobstars. stars, and we do it having taken off only one week, not just because time itself is an effective modality, but because my friend's mistakes were made, and I don't want to have to live with myself too long with those mistakes having been made. I'm kind of serious. I get very appalled at myself when I make a math mistake. So there's $100 billion in aid that could go to Ukraine. And I looked at the 330 million Americans and I said, oh, it's about $30 for every man, woman, and child. I was off... I was off by an order of magnitude, $300. It's $300. Still, it's cheaper twice the price, I say. Though it does seem unfair to tax every child. Let's call it $300 for every man, woman, and child, except little Isabella Pluff of Elkhart, Indiana. She likes unicorns and nerd rainbow ropes candy. You, Isabella, do not have to pay. So saith I. On the Israel front, a lot of uh, correspondence on this. I received many a kind word from supportive readers and listeners, and also great insight from some critical ones. One said he was canceling Pesca Plus because, among other reasons, he felt I was being reductive with the phrases pro-Israel and pro-Palestinian. So I found a program that allows me, and I've never had this before, to look back at everything I've said, and that's pretty good. I didn't find it. A Redditor named Quadro Keith found it for me. Thank God. And he originally... Uh, was involved in a discussion of why can't I pronounce Ramaswamy, Ramaswamy, I thought I was pronouncing Ramaswamy. What happens is I spend all my time getting in my head saying it's Vivek like fake, not Vivek like pain in the neck. And I ignored the whole Ramaswamy of it. Ramaswamy, Ramaswamy, Isn't it Ramaswamy? But I used the tool, the search tool, to look up all my utterances of pro-Palestinian, pro-Israeli, anti-Palestinian, anti-Israeli. I don't think the pro-Palestinian was the problem. I think the problem was sometimes I say anti-Israeli and it could be heard as anti existence of the State of Israel, or it could be heard as anti the current government of Israel. So I could see someone calling themselves, well, I'm anti Netanyahu, but I think Israel should exist, or would it be the other way around i don't think israel should exist but maybe my gosh that netanyahu is a fine fellow but yes i could i could understand and sympathize that it's inexact good note sorry to see you go pesca plus subscriber but this means i will use the critique to improve and it also means we have an extra spot on the pesca plus subscription boat for Ad free shows for bonus episodes for self flagellating pronunciations of tertiary Republican candidates. Go to subscribe.mikepesca.com, give a gift, take 11% off. Subscribe at mikepesca.com, use Belgium. Code Belgium at checkout. You get your 11% off. Oh, man, this turns into an ad. I feel sullied. Anyway, as I did acknowledge, there has been a lot of Palestinian-Israeli content, pro, anti, so forth. And even if you're not anti-Israeli, whatever that means, you might be anti-Israeli content all the time. So I pulled back. This would have happened normally. I'm sure it has without me consciously thinking about it. But I did say to myself on Tuesday, oh good, I did an entire show without Israel, an Israel-free program, the BDS of uh, the gist, I guess you could say. The segments that day were uh, Nobel Prize-winning economist Angus Deaton and mitochondria emoji, it's mitochondria um, by the way, that was also a misstatement on my part. And then I did a segment on the sludge boat, which brought up the sludge train, which uh, producer Joel Patterson really expertly uh, used my singing of sludge train and paired it with the OJ's original song sludge train. Sorry, they sang love train, I believe. And guess what? That alone made it not an Israel free show. Because listen to the lyrics of Love Train. Tell all the folks in Egypt and Israel too, please don't miss this train at the station. Because if you miss it, I feel sorry. Sorry for you. Well, that happened. Love Train, Peace Train, this train's bound for glory, False Prison, Blues, The Gambler. You know, there are a lot of great songs about trains. Are there more great songs about boats? Sit down, you're rocking the boat. Don't Rock the Boat Baby by the Hughes Corporation, Every Sea Shanty, you know, no time for that now, because we have to give out the Lopstar of the Antan Twig, or Antwentig. No one really knows how to pronounce it. So for this, I got many a kind note, and this one was from Eric Gilmore. Just a week ago, I quoted a fellow who said, "As a computational linguist, the definition of words change over time, but then I believe, after a dependent clause, he didn 't have uh, proper grammar, and I remember reading that that I knew it, and Gilmore pointed that out to me, and I understood and I wrote back to Eric Gilmore, Oh, I know and knew it then, but didn 't want to slow down the proceedings to dwell on semantics in a spiel about how discussing accusations of apartheid and genocide aren't just matters of semantics. And then Eric wrote, makes great sense. So many layers. By the way, if this is actually Mike Pesca sending an email, I'm awed that just as easily the top podcast around. Very nice. I'm, I don't know if I'm odd. I get a little confused. And so it would be odd by me sending an email. So I wrote back, no, it's not Mike Pesca. I'm a Sri Lankan-based 15-year-old knowledge sector worker assigned to this account. It just auto-generates the Mike Pesca signature to convey warmth. I will put your note in the form that populates in one of those inboxes of Mike's executive assistants. I'm sure he might see it. Sincerely, Pradeep Karunarathna. Now, by the way, I didn't just pick some wildly multisyllabic Sri Lankan seeming words. I literally looked up common Sri Lankan surnames and common Sri Lankan first names. Muhammad was one, I'm not gonna go with that. I'm with Pradeep, Karuna Afna. And then Eric, and this is gonna earn him an award, writes back, no problem, thanks Pradeep. Now, either this is him expertly and dryly continuing what he recognizes as an excellent piece of humor, in which case he deserves the lopstar of the Antoine or he didn't know I've kind of unintentionally pulled a joke on him and I feel a little bit guilty and I need to correct this, in which case a good way to assuage my guilt and console him for having been fooled is to award him the Lobster of the Antoine Tig. Either way, I think you see where this is going, Eric Gilmore. You, sir, are the Lobster of the Antoine Tig. That's it for today's show. Corey War is the producer of The Gist and Joel Patterson's the senior producer. Michelle Pesca runs special projects for Peach Fish Productions. The Gist is presented in collaboration with Libsyn's AdvertiseCast. Go to AdvertiseCast.com slash The Gist to advertise. There is no 11% off advertisements if you use the code Belgium. That's only for subscriptions. Sorry about that. Peru, Jeeperoo, Peru. Thanks for listening.